0: So I'm I'm into the Blue Zone for the first time this morning. Got a ticket for the whole week. Seems to be moving pretty well, given that we've heard many horror stories about people queuing up for an hour or two, but I have to admit I've been a little bit lazy this morning having had a weekend of events and little time to pause. So we're through the airport-style security. Uh, There's kind of just a constant Buzz, really. It's it's chaos, but in an organised, energetic fashion. So about to register, get my get my blue badge, my UN observer badge, NGO observer badge. Up, remains to be seen what's on it. And then straight in. I'm already hearing um, President Obama's just around the corner, meeting and greeting folk. Probably about a hundred yards away from him.
2: We need to understand that net zero does not mean zero. What net zero by 2050 means is that in 2050, 30 years hence, anyone could just be offsetting their emissions that year.
3: The concern is that this is a form of delayism, and delayism is, in fact, the the modern-day form of denialism, which we actually had in the 1980s. I think if corporations and countries didn't already know how damaging, how devastating these net-zero greenwash and offsets are, well, this is just the beginning.
4: I would encourage any lawyer in this room who is an environmental lawyer or human rights lawyer, this is the time to really take the risk and pursue a legal
0: action. So I'm just out of the first side event that I've attended in the Blue Zone. i have to say, really, really impressed. I mean, that the quality of the lineup was just something else. We had representatives from ActionAid, Global Witness, Greenpeace, um, and many others. Uh, and, and the whole discussion was around uh, what well, it was titled, Net Zero, Smoke, Mirrors, and, and looking at carbon offsetting and trying to understand you know, to what extent this is a, uh, you know, is, is, is a sham or, or something that can actually contribute to a uh, carbon-free future.
2: The net in net zero is this uh, accounting trick that means that you can pollute as much as you like as long as you find a way to remove or offset the same amount of emissions that year. You are theoretically net zero.
0: Many of the the net zero strategies and goals from both government and companies will likely demand more land than we actually have on planet Earth.
2: If you consider the thousands of governments and corporations out there that have made net zero targets, it's clear there is not enough land on the planet to offset all this continued pollution. There really is no alternative to systemic change to to bring emissions down to real zero.
0: A really good example was that Shell alone would need land three times the size of the Netherlands to deliver upon its own net zero strategy so I mean you know where, where are you going to to capture that land and that actually in this push for land which obviously you know the land unlocks ability to offset whether it's afforestation or different forms of carbon capture whether that is restoration of peatlands or um, other forms of carbon sequestration this requires land and we're seeing in the developing world particularly concerns from Amnesty International about illegal land seizures that make good on these carbon offsets. And in that regard, that actually if you drop the net and just go for real zero, you could help avoid many of these violations of human rights.
3: With a net zero target for 2050, rather than targets for real zero much earlier than that, countries and other wealthy countries and other high emitting countries are violating the human rights of millions of people, condemning them to premature death, hunger, disease and displacement.
0: There was also a really interesting discussion from a representative of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, IATP, and she was pointing to how this drive towards carbon offsetting is seeing coalitions form between some of the the dirtiest companies that are likely to, to really struggle to, to shake off their, their carbon emissions. And a good example would be the, the dairy industry and the meat industry, and then coupling up with fossil fuel companies to produce gas for vehicles would be one example.
3: In the last year, several global meat and dairy companies have declared net zero targets. ITP has examined several of them. None of them plan on reducing the number of animals in their supply chain. And this is where 90% of livestock related emissions come from. So their model of mass production and processing will not change in spite of their target.
0: And a, a broader question from the IATP was about the integrity of these net zero pledges. So th- on the one hand, you know, there are questions about uh, the viability of these net zero strategies. Can they be done? The integrity is more about, will they do it? And they pointed to many of these companies' past history in the fossil fuel industry, but also the meat uh, and, and uh, dairy industry that mentioned about whether they were really going to make good on those net zero plans. So it's about looking at the history of that company and understanding whether they you know, have, have that track record to deliver.
3: So we really need to be careful because there's such a rush to create these carbon credits and to create net zero that we're coming out with all these credits and... We're actually lacking the evidence that any of this is going to work.
0: And so, you know, the the conversation, I guess, finished more on what what, what do we do? How do we ensure that companies and governments, if they are offsetting, they're doing this correctly um, and in a way that doesn't uh, disenfranchise or or undermine the human rights of, of other sectors of society? And what really shone through, I think, was the role of courts in terms of climate litigation.
3: One is um, in Germany, which I think is a a very important one with a groundbreaking decision of the highest court, the Federal Constitutional Court. They found that the German government's failure to come up with a clear climate and carbon reduction plan from 2030 to net zero was unlawful. And I think what they found, which is very important, is that the inadequate plans to meet these net zero targets that had been put forward would... Uh, result in an unconstitutional shift of the burden of emissions reductions on young people and future generations um, who would face the task of reducing emissions at just impossible speeds.
0: So the role of courts, the role of climate litigation, the role of environmental um, lawyers and law firms is very much at the forefront of this fight and expect to hear much, much more of it, calling both the public and private sector to account. So, really enjoyed that, really enjoyed it. Um, Looking forward to getting some more side events, uh, so credit to the organizers there. Um, I'm hopping off now to have a look at some of the pavilions and to snaffle some kind of food to keep me going. Um, Okay, so we'll catch up later.
3: This is where the action is at, because people are winning, and it's really time for governments and corporations to uh, implement um, these net zero pledges to go to real zero. And I think it's more than just commitments, it's actually an obligation.
0: So we're standing outside uh, the plenary that Barack Obama was giving an address to the COP26 delegation. Um, It was a ticketed only event, so we couldn't get access in um understood but um use the time usefully to get around the pavilions which was just complete sort of sensory overload really there's all sorts going on there imagine every you know country wanting a stall and then you've got sort of confederations different uh, interest groups holding their own stalls um, but to walk around it's just just absolutely breathtaking really um, and it's quite difficult to know exactly what to dip into and each pavilion is holding their own set of events. So yes. I was able to dip into one from the um, SDG7, so the Sustainable Development Goal number no. 7. So we were hearing about their Fair Cooling Fund and what they were doing to try and uh, reduce the temperature of, of households in countries like India and Egypt and countries within the continent of Africa. and One particular project was of, of great interest which was a recent award winner which, which was the Mahila Housing Trust um, and this was a, an initiative set up in India to um, help women, specifically women, tackle heat stress. Uh, women are uh, those that spend most of the time at home in, in this particular area of India. Uh, these homes are dark, poor access to energy, poor access to water um, and also the house tends to double as the workplace and, and they trained 27,000 households which I think was up, up to about 100,000 women to take active intervention to reduce the temperature indoors between 2 and 6 degrees and this, this involved a whole host of things from actually helping them build and design these houses so they, they had the right aspect, they had the right shading built in but also taking sort of retrofit inter- interventions like improving ventilation painting their roofs uh, white, changing out the materials so they didn't absorb so much heat. Um, but it was really, really fascinating to see this, this example of um, uh, energy equality, but also gender equality, and, and trying to help these homes lead uh, more comfortable lives. And this wasn't just for their personal lives and their, their families and their households, but also for their work, because many of these women were having to stop work because uh, of heat stress, which have, have a whole host of 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 health issues so really fascinating. I am currently outside one of the other plenary rooms and hoping to gain access to a high-level ministerial debate on climate finance so if I'm successful I'll give, give a bit of a summary later. Yeah we're still waiting out here but that's fine, because I'm meeting all sorts of really interesting people.
4: So I'm Annabelle Rice, and I'm, we're here with Care Climate, and we are youth and women NGO. And we're based in the States, but it's an international organisation. And we want to empower women, particularly in the global south, to take action on climate change.
0: Fantastic. So I, I've just been uh, sitting through a talk, which I've just explained to the listeners, about some of the fantastic projects in terms of energy access. I just wanted you to maybe outline some of the key projects you're involved with and and how they're helping you kind of deliver on your mission statement.
4: I think the key thing for us is that women are so often disproportionately affected by climate change, whether that's through their role taking care of children. So in floods, women are much more likely to die in floods because um, of care capacities and things like that. Um, And so we want to make sure that women are involved in decision-making projects so that they are not only not just seen as victims but as empowered change-makers. And so there's evidence that when women are in leadership positions, there's more sustainable policies in place at both a government level and also in businesses. And so our mission is to get women into these positions of power where they can really have the voice that they need and deserve in order to make change.
0: So in terms of positions of power, are we talking within business, even within the household, but also politically? I mean, what would be a position of power in your mind that would help empower women to make these choices?
4: I think you're so right. There are these different levels of power, and it does depend on the situation that you're in. But I think what we want to do is amplify women's voices so wherever they want to seek power, they can have power. So making sure that their voices are heard in whatever situation. And we work on a community level, but also on a national level. So we work on nationally determined contributions and we did a gender enhancement tracker to uh, in, to see how um, NDCs take take account of women and how often they're referenced and we found that more often than not they're referenced as victims as not as leaders Right. and okay. so that's what we're trying to do really.
0: Exactly, change the narrative from victim to you know agent of change, positive change.
4: Exactly yeah.
0: And, and what are your hopes for COP26? Are you hoping that this becomes a real agenda item and, and that we see some commitments later this week on this front?
4: I think that this COP26 I'm hoping for some hope, I'm hoping to come out and feel a bit more optimistic but it remains to be seen, I mean, women are not being accurately represented at this COP even, and particularly women from the Global South. This COP is not very diverse, and um, there's a huge problem with access. And even when women are on the panels at this COP, there's, they speak for less than half the time, even though they make up more than half of the, dele- of the delegation. So I think, I'm hoping at this COP that we see some real action rather than just words, which we've seen for a long, old time.
0: Well, here, here, and, and all the best, and enjoy, car. I hope I hope you get what you're you're after.
3: So heat is on the rise, but now the urgency is very apparent because it's affecting how we live.
0: So the COP 26 wagon rolls on. We've just come out of a plenary where we had Alex Sharma, the host of the UK presidency, chief negotiator, was hosting a high-level ministerial plenary. Looking at climate finance and trying to understand what needs to be unlocked to ensure that we we reach our $100 billion target, which we should have already met, which they're now targeting for 2023, but for climate finance in developing countries. So, just a couple of high level points that came out of that. I think there's an emphasis now on ensuring that finance is forthcoming from the private sector, not just the public sector. Two, that there is a mix of finance, not just for mitigation, but for climate adaptation. So that's to accept that we need to invest in adaptation measures to reduce um, the impacts of climate change on our communities, on our on economies. So actually just building our way out of some of the pain um, rather than actually preventing climate change in the first place. So there we have, uh, I guess, a, a new emphasis there as we push higher and higher above 1.5, 2 degrees, 3, 3 degrees, 4 degrees, you're going to need the investment to protect these communities from the ravages of climate change. And I think um, there were some really interesting points there from the minister from the Canadian government. is that instead of kind of bilateral uh, flows of finance from one country in the developed world to the developing world, that there are multilateral organisations such as the World Bank where often investment is taken from the developed world into this organisation which then redistributes that into the developing world and that intermediary there needs to be aligned with the the goals of these developed and developing countries so it's important that everybody's on song. So some really interesting points, fascinating to be in the plenary room Um, but I think that's almost all the time I I have in in the blue zone today. So I am joined with one, the only Fraser Stewart, Fraser.
5: Matt, how's it going?
0: Very well. We we are camping out in a, a little sort of I don't know what you call this. What bar tapas? It's it's nice. It's, it's a, a nice pretty, little it's place. Fun. It's <laughs> nicer than where we probably should be. Um, so we've we're on our way to the uh, carbon brief climate quiz, mm. and Fraser has joined joined our team. We've got 12 tonight. will be called Strathematics. And we are a, a motley crew of researchers. We've got a few other folk in board, but you're looking forward to it.
5: I am. I'm really looking forward to it. It's. A, I've. I've heard. It's a. It's a legendary. A legendary event at every COP, right? The Carbon Brief put on the quiz, and everyone who's anyone in this kind of space goes along to it. And also friends of the show, right? Leo Absolutely. was on the show just before COP, telling us what it's all about. Yeah. I think it will be good fun. I don't know how much recording we're going to do tonight. How much of it will be shareable?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, I guess this is a good opportunity. We haven't haven't bumped into each other before then obviously i saw you on stage on on uh, on friday at the end of the climate march um and yeah, really enjoyed that um but uh, beyond that how's cop been for you like what what's been keeping you busy
5: it's been good it's been it has been busy it's been very busy so i've had a couple of green zone days things that i'm speaking at rather than rather than visiting quite a lot of social stuff as well which has been nice catching up with people that wouldn't normally be in town which to be honest apart from the uh, the marches and the events has actually probably been the highlight of it. Just seeing people that you don't often get a chance to see, catching up for a wee pint here and there and the coffee. It's been really, really good. What's been keeping you busy? Because you're yeah. in the blue zone now.
0: Yeah, kind of overwhelming, really. I mean, I feel exhausted after it. Um, but uh, yesterday was in the New York Times Climate Hub, so we, we spoke uh, about um, what the legacy of COP26 might be for Scotland, which you know is an interesting question, because I, I think there's a, a big detachment, many locals here about, you know, connecting COP to anything that they yeah. kind of personally relate to. What was,
5: the, what was the vibe out of the conversation? I've got some
0: thoughts on this too.
5: What, what sort of came out of that conversation that you had?
0: Um, well, I th- I th- you know, I think there's a sense about keep keeping our kind of foot foot on the accelerator in, in Glasgow, and in Scotland. And my perspective was, you know, I think we should almost use this as a kind of recurring point in time every mid-november you know every mid-november we we meet and we we pause and we discuss and we we have something you know of something of a summit again but um I mean, a, lot, a lot of the themes actually besides that that came out was you know the leg what the legacy means for education and we had various questions from uh, school teachers who were really keen to understand how they can ingrain you know the spirit of COP26 into what they're teaching with their students so I thought that was that was really really important obviously it carries over into the university teaching that we do
5: yeah yeah absolutely I think legacy is a big thing that we've been talking about in the run up to this as well one of the really frustrating things about this COP you know they're calling it the most exclusive COP ever um, largely in reference to most affected people who can't get here whether it's vaccines visas rent prices whatever it is haven't been able to get here which is a huge huge issue but for the city of Glasgow as well it's very much been that thing where it felt like it had been done to the city of Glasgow by by the relevant organizers. But what I would say might so my worry was that, because they're shutting down the city, because they weren't given the same transport privilege that delegates were given, etc. etc. That rather than this big green legacy there was going to be a bit of resentment there, or even worse, apathy. What gave me a lot of heart was Friday and Saturday at the two marches, Friday I gave a speech effectively speaking to people in Glasgow saying, look, this is for us. People were there in their thousands. Screaming for it on the Saturday, I marched with the Glasgow communities block, and we were one of the biggest blocks in the whole match of a hundred thousand people. There, there had to have been a couple of thousand. Yeah. So people here yeah. uh, on a rainy
0: day, a very rainy. I mean, a, gla- a Glaswegian <laughs> wet day. I mean, it was, you know. a real rainy day.
5: Um, but people people were there in their in their hundreds and thousands from the city. You know, shoulder to shoulder with the folk that I know from yeah. from sort of deprived communities in Glasgow, next to. Indigenous peoples from yeah. West Papua, from with trade unionists, with, with school kids, with people from all over.
0: It's the Great Leveller, or should be the Great Leveller. Should be.
5: My worry was that there was going to be resentment or apathy in Glasgow because of the way that cops has been done. But people are here, people, people are, are screaming about this, people are, are on this and we need to do what we can from now. Some maybe, maybe we've been too exclusive already, but I think there's still absolutely enormous power there to be harnessed in the city and, and in every corner of the world.
0: Yeah, and, and it's funny seeing that energy, but in different contexts. So for me, COP has all been about seeing different people get really kind of excited and engaged about climate, but on different subjects, because obviously you know, climate breaks down into a whole range of different you know singular issues. I mean, they're all tied together, but they're, they're discrete problems. In different kind of settings so i've seen it in the green zone the blue zone i've seen it on the march i've seen it in these kind of more sort of vip kind of events i've seen it even in, in my home chatting to you know, my wife and family and um so I've, I've seen that and it come kind of comes in all shapes and sizes and as you say it it does give you hope when you see that spectrum of humanity start to kind of tackle it within one city because yeah. it's all here right now like everybody's here but it, but it's all happening, and as you say, I think when you lose heart and you see that, yeah, it, it does, it does give you a reason to kind of keep cracking on. So no, I'm, I'm, I've, 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 I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and yeah, as I say, it'd be good to see, uh, see some more folk tonight and hear their perspectives because everybody's had a different cop, so, so it's been a different, different tale. Everybody's had a unique experience, which is really quite weird because <laughs> we're all in the same city, kind of dealing with the same issues. But so anyway. We'll um we'll let you know how we get on with the quiz. Uh, Fraser's got all the answers written on the back of his hands. Uh, he doesn't know the questions yet, but maybe he does know the questions. Right. Well, we'll we'll let you know how we get on. And until then, yeah. Um, and of course, wishes luck. by the spoken media